0: God, this morning, first we want to lift up a couple of things before we pray about how we spend the next few minutes. I want to pray for Eric Ketchum's mom, Lynette, and for his dad, Noble. Lord, we want to lift up Lynette right now she is hanging on to life, waiting for a liver. Lord, we we pray that you would sustain her life, that you would provide a liver for transplant. Uh, and Lord, we pray that ultimately, more than anything, that you would be glorified in how the events unfold uh, those who are clinging to you right now, that they would, would hold fast, uh, that they would see a host of witnesses surrounding them that are holding fast with them, that are encouraging them and lifting them up. Uh, God, ultimately, we want your will to be done. We share the desire of our heart clearly is for deliverance and health and provision for Lynette. I pray for a Noble right now, too, as as a husband and as father, uh, the different roles that he is uh, carrying today. Lord, we just pray that he is trusting you. I pray that he is pointing his children toward you, that he is reminding his wife of your goodness and your mercy and your attentiveness, uh, the sympathy of our high priest. I just pray that he has those things on his lips right now as he's encouraging and shepherding his family through this time. God also this morning we want to lift up another church in our community, one that's near and dear to us, and is um, by your grace and mercy you planted through us. We are uh, thankful for the chance this morning to lift up C3 in Commerce. Uh, praying for David and Whitney this morning. Pray for uh, for worship. I pray that his ministry will be fueled by worship. I pray that you would guard his heart from the roller coaster of what he may see with his eyes, what he may hear with his ears, but that he is fueled by the unseen realities and the unseen truths that you have expressed to us through your word that we're reminded of through the Holy Spirit. I pray that that will be the fuel for C3, not just for David, but for the other elders at C3, for the deacons, and for the church body. And, Lord, we pray the same thing for us this morning. I just pray for I know how easily I get caught up in what I am seeing or not seeing. How easily I'm influenced by what I hear or what I think I should be hearing that I don't hear. And Lord, I know that it makes me unsteady. It makes those around me unsteady. And Lord, I pray for a steady, deep confidence and assurance and trust for myself, for the others in this church body in the unseen. I pray that we can walk by faith and not by sight. Thankful for this summer that we get to spend together enjoying those that walked not according to what they saw, not according to what every single thing around them screamed, but according to what you said and according to what you declared. I'm thankful that we have the chance this summer to enjoy each of these folks and enjoy your grace, and your goodness, and your faithfulness through their stories. We turn this time over to you this morning in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Like last week you're going to need to keep your hand in Hebrews 11 and in this morning Genesis 6 through 8, chapters 6 through 8. We're not going to go back and forth. We're going to start in Hebrews 11. We're going to go back and get some of the furniture and equipment that we need from the Genesis account of Noah. Um, But for the most part, our home base this morning is going to be Hebrews 11 and Genesis 6 through 8. There will be some other places that we go at various points. Let me give you a map for the morning, what to expect. If you're a note taker and you like to have kind of an outline or you like to know what the finish line is for the morning, I'll kind of give you a a map of our route. We're going to unpack this verse 7. One verse. It's going to be a very simple morning in terms of our source we're going to unpack this verse 7 and from this verse grab 6 important and awesome things about faith about faith realities from this one verse having to do with Noah's story and then after that we're just going to consider briefly some things that we learn about God from this story of Noah so let's start with Hebrews chapter 11 beginning in verse only in verse 7 By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We're going to come back to this verse and unpack it here in a moment, but I would like you to turn on over to Genesis chapter 6. We need to go back and grab this story. And I want to arrest you with something this morning, or I want you to be arrested with something, maybe a better way to put it. I want to share a passage with you from Matthew as you're turning over to Genesis. I want want you to be arrested with the importance of this story. There's a temptation to take some of our Old Testament stories and just reduce them to children's stories that are just good for summer clubs or VBS or Sunday school and what I want you to understand that we're going to consider this morning is not just a little kid's story, but something that's very, very important and very helpful for us. Listen to this passage from Matthew 24 before we climb into Genesis chapter 6. Jesus said, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of Of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until that day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The story that we're considering this morning in Genesis chapter 6 is not just a little historical story, but it's something that's equipping us for the hour and day that we're presently in, preparing for Christ's return. That's why it has special importance for us. It's so relevant. We're going to come back to Matthew 24 a few times over the morning, but let's climb into our story. I'm not going to read three chapters to you, but I am going to read some excerpts, and I'll tell you where I'm reading if you like to follow along with me beginning in chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Jump down to verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that's on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. That shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the ground According to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you of every sort of food that's eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights." And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Jump down to verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. And the windows of heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there is the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land, in whose nostril was the breath of life, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left. And those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Continue in chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. Jump to verse 13. In the the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that's with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is... Evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. This morning, turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to unpack this one verse. I wanted us to have that story fresh and in view. There's some things that we'll consider in these next few minutes that that, the details there needed to be on our minds as we considered this one verse in Hebrews chapter 11. And the verse really is a lob for six really awesome things that are true about faith. First, Noah was warned by God about something unseen. We don't know a lot about the the condition of the earth at the time of the flood, but there are some signs that it happened between five and 8,000 years ago. Some indications that before the flood that the earth was like a big terrarium. You know the project that you made when you were in elementary school with a big pickle jar and some wax paper. And some earth, good loamy dark earth with some little plants and maybe a bug or two in there. And how condensation formed in there like a little bitty tiny rainforest. There's some indication that that's what the earth was like before the flood. You may remember remember last week that I mentioned on creation week that the second day of creation was the only day of creation week of the six creating days that God did not declare as good. And some believe that's because that's a day that he was later going to undo. As he separated the waters above on day two from the waters below, here in the flood he is undoing that very work as he's folding those waters in and on themselves for this cataclysmic, catastrophic event of the flood. From all indications up to this point in history, especially as far as our Bible's concerned, there was no need for a boat. We know on day three that seas were created, but there's no indication that there was a need for a boat up to this point. And there's certainly no indication also that there's no sign or no evidence that there's ever been a flood Maybe not even rain. If it was a rainforest type environment, flooding and a boat would be two things that are pretty foreign. So Noah here is warned about something that is not only unseen, it is likely altogether unheard of. Think about how we started this chapter. It's a beautiful start to this Heroes of the Faith chapter in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Noah is the perfect illustration of being convicted about things unseen and at this point unheard of. Noah appears to have recognized that God's words are so powerful that they put into motion events that will come to pass. When God warned him about these events, he didn't have a historical frame of reference. He'd never seen these things before, never even imagined these things before. But for him, he was so convicted and so sure they would come to pass, he acted. Noah seemed to grasp something that our gospel writers remind us of if you're looking. The book of Matthew is saturated with references of Scripture coming to pass of things happening because Scripture said they were going to happen. I'm going to give you a few references, and then I'm going to share a few with you from the book of John. The references in Matthew, if you're a note-taker, are 2.17, 2.23, 4.14, 2.654, 2.656, and 2.7.9. Just by the occurrences there, you can get the clue that this is a theme in Matthew. Let me show you that it's also a theme in John. As we were moving together as a church family through John, this thing began to emerge. It sort of stuck out to us as something that became thematic. Here are a few of these references. John chapter 12, verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The words that God spoke through the prophet were so sure that they would come to pass. Here's another example across the page in chapter 13. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. He just washed the disciples' feet. He said, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. It is a theme in Matthew, a theme in John, chapter 15, verse 25, is the next one. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. He's been speaking to them about hatred of the world. They will be hated. The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled because God said it. They hated me without cause. Another one's in his high priestly prayer in chapter 17. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Passage after passage throughout John and Matthew. Here's the last one. Chapter 19, verse 36. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. What I want you to understand from this little exercise here, this almost Puritan like machine gun, example after example exercise, is to see that when God says something, it is sure, even if it hasn't come to pass yet, it's going to come to pass. Noah hadn't seen it. He hadn't even heard of what God is telling him about. But for him, he's sure of it. He hadn't seen it, but he's convicted about it. Two things that he believed. He believed the flood would come to pass. Flood? What's a flood? God said it's coming. It's coming. And secondly, that salvation would come by a boat. What's a boat? Well, a boat is what God told me to build. I can't see it, but I believe it. Faith involves believing God about unseen realities. That's faith. Secondly, from this story, right from our passage, Noah had reverent fear. This phrase, this word here for reverent fear can be translated a few different ways. The favorite, that I'm going to share these various translations with you, but my favorite was this one. He paid careful heed to the divine instructions. He paid careful heed. His movement wasn't shoddy. He wasn't playing fast and loose with God's instructions. I think I'll do these things but not these things. Or I think I'll do it this way. God will be okay with me kind of tweaking this a little bit. His movement was intentional. His movement was careful. His movement was down to the detail, obedient. The passages I emphasize as I read the account, he obeyed all that God commanded him to do. Other ways that little phrase for reverent fear can be translated, can be translated that he moved out of reverent regard like that one. Another one, he moved with pious care. The word pious oftentimes is used in a derogatory way. It's not a derogatory word. It means devout. He moved in a way that was devout, reverent. Here's the last one. Taking heed with careful attentiveness. The thing I want to ask of you this morning, Crosspoint, and this second point is we're considering that faith has reverent fear, I want to ask you, do you pay careful attention to God's instructions? Be really honest with yourself in these next few minutes as we consider this and explore this. Do you pay careful heed to what God has instructed? Do you have reverent regard for what God has communicated to you? He is expecting of you. Do you move with pious and devout care, taking heed with careful attentiveness of what God has said to you? Or do you play fast and loose with those things, thinking, ah, it'll be okay? God won't mind. It'll be fine. Things are going to work out fine. Or do you pay careful heed and careful attention? Are you forgetful about what God has communicated to you and what God expects of you. As I'm asking you these questions this morning, I'm asking the question of myself. I'm thinking as a church, what's the, what are the most recent direction, clear things that God has communicated to us as a church family in these last few months? And for me, there are three massive things. They were the product of studying in Hebrew since January on the high priesthood of Christ. I hope most of you can remember those three things. And if you can't, then you have work to do to go back to grab those things. As a church, we considered after these six chapters of here's who Christ is, the high priest, then here's how we respond as the church. Let us hold fast, let us draw near, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together, as some are already in the habit of doing. Let's just consider this question for a moment. Do you pay careful heed to God's instructions? Let's start with the obvious question. Do you remember those exhortations that we considered as a church after months of studying in Hebrews? Some of you are visiting, so you're off the hook. Some of you hadn't been here long, so you're off the hook. But those of you who've been with us, do you remember it? Let's take a really honest assessment in light of a guy that obeyed in great detail, had reverent fear for everything God said, do you consider as authoritative what God said a few months ago, the three appropriate responses to Christ as high priest? Have your lives been affected in any way at all in regards to those three things, those big pregnant things that we had a gestation period between January and, when I don't even even remember when they were preached, what is this, June, May, Between January and May, where we're pregnant with this thing, what do we do because of Christ as high priest? And then we have this big, we have triplets. There they are. Let us hold fast, let us draw near, and let's consider how to stir one another up to loving good deeds. Has your mind gone to those profound directions from our God at any point since that time? Man, let's take a real honest assessment of this question. Do you move in reverent fear out of what God has commanded and communicated to you? Does it impact you in a way at all? It's an honest, hard question. The sad fact for some of us, for many of us maybe, is that our boss often gets our best and our God often gets our leftovers. Unfortunately, we can give our boss more attention. We can give our club membership more attention than we give a direction from our living God. And I'm not talking about just you. I'm talking about Ben McGraw, too. I don't have a boss. But, man, I can get caught up and distracted in stuff and forget what did God say to me? Man, he said three really profound things to me in these last few months. Let us hold fast. Let us draw near, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. I study a guy named Richard Phillips, and this was a quote from him that I wanted to share with you. It was, I thought it very pertinent. I have two quotes, actually, to share. Here's the first. This is from Richard Phillips. The Puritans in 7th century England were like Noah. The name Puritan was given to them by scoffers because of their care ...for studying and obeying God's word in great detail. Then, as today, people think such reverent attentiveness to be narrow religion. (laughs) Does this sound familiar at all? This is not a new thing. This goes back to the Puritans where somebody says, Man, let's obey in reverent detail what God has said. Let's pay careful heed and attention to what God said. You're kind of sounding religious. That sounds like a heavy yoke. Here, let me continue his quote. Then as of today, people think such reverent attentiveness to be narrow religion. They wrongly equate it with the attitude of the Pharisees who made life difficult, not with their biblical obedience, but with their man-made restrictions. Huh. Yet biblical obedience does not fetter you or make you narrow rather it liberates you to what is good and what is true and what is wholesome man i enjoyed that quote i put out beside that i said you are i thought to myself you are most human when you are paying reverent attention to what your creator has said to you and what your creator communicates to you man that's not narrow and that's not a heavy yoke it liberates you to what is good and true and wholesome when you have reverent fear to divine instructions. I thought about his reverent fear in another direction. In this case, so far we've talked about how he moved and what, what it meant and what he did. I thought too, just in reverent fear in general, reverent fear of God meant that he had more fear of God than he had fear of man. If you don't think that you're influenced by what people think of you, often overly so, I encourage you to read when people are big and God is small. It's a great read. I can't remember who wrote it, but you can look it up. It is well worth reading, and it will illuminate you to how often you are influenced by what people think instead of what God thinks. I found an old Scottish preacher long since dead that said these words. I wish I could say it with a Scottish accent. If Luke were here, he could do it. He, can, he does a Scottish accent good, but I can't do it. I almost want to try, just because I think God's going to speak with a Scottish accent when we get there. It's just good. No doubt there were plenty of witty and wise things said about him. He's speaking of Noah. No doubt there were plenty of witty and wise things said about him. And then one morning, the rain began and continued... And for 40 days, it did not stop, and they began to think, perhaps, after all, there was some method in his madness. Noah got into his ark, and it still rained. I wonder what they thought about it all then, when the water was up to their knees. (laughs) Just imagine that quote there in Scottish accent from Alexander McLaren. Noah, though, he wasn't influenced by the jeers and the jibes. He was influenced by reverent fear for God. Faith pays careful heed to God's instruction and faith has a reverent fear for God. The third thing that comes right from this passage, in reverent fear, we can insert the he constructed. The third thing is that he acted. In reverent fear for God, And fear of these instructions, reverent attentiveness to these instructions, he constructed. Just consider that for a moment. He didn't sit idle and unresponsive. His faith compelled him to act. We don't know how long it took for him to build the ark. The instructions came about 120 years before the rain came. And during that period, I mean, he could have gone right to work, but there's some sign, some indication that it wasn't until Shem, Ham, and Japheth were grown-ups and they had wives that that work began. So some people have placed the period of time of construction between 55 and 75 years. Whether it's 55 years or 100 years, I'm going to call that a long project. We've been for years wanting to have a back porch built on our house. And Bud Jones and his crew came a couple weeks ago and in four and a half days built the most amazing back porch that we could ever even imagine. But it took four and a half days. And I was overwhelmed at that. Like, look at those guys. They're amazing. But Noah, though, is building 55 to maybe up to 100 years his faith was dynamic. That's a key word. His faith was dynamic. His faith acted. His faith measured stuff. His faith sawed stuff. His faith hammered stuff. His faith built daily, like we talked about last week, like a walk, like slow and steady for maybe as little as 55 years, like a walk, working on the next little section of this massive battleship-sized boat, one little section at a time, one nail at a time, one log at a time. I want you to imagine for a moment how the story would have gone If it had gone a different way, listen to this account. This passage I'm going to read a little bit differently. I don't have a real funny or interesting way to read it. I just want you to think about something. Chapter 6, verse 13, back in Genesis. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Jumping back down to 17, For behold, I'm going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven goes all the way down to the very end. It shall serve as food for you for them. And then in verse 22, how it reads for us now, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. What if it read, Noah said, Hey, God, I believe you. And then he went on about his business. What if he said, Sure, God, I believe you. That sounds pretty scary. Sounds pretty awesome. It's not something I've ever seen before or imagined before, but I believe you, but I'm going to go back to my life as it was before you warned me. Imagine what Noah's story had been like had he just gone about about life as if he'd never heard a message from God. If he had gone on like Jesus said they did, the rest of the earth did in, in the time of the flood, eating and drinking and giving in marriage. He had three sons, and we know those three sons were born after the warning, and the three sons got married after the warning. What imagine, what his life would have been like if the sum total of his life had been, well, he married off Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But there was no boat. There was no dynamic response to what God said. Imagine what his life would have been like, what this story would have been like. You could hear the sound after the story. Wah, wah, wah. What a lame story. I wouldn't share that in VBS. I wouldn't even preach from it. I don't even want that in my Bible. That's lame. Think about it for a minute, though. What are your lives like? If you hear direct instructions from your God and then your life remains unaltered. Man, we could laugh about Noah sitting around eating. Bonbons and ho-hos watching TV with his feet kicked up. Not building an ark. And what it would have been like when the rain came. But what's it going to be like for us? If we hear instructions from him, let us hold fast. Let us draw near. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. If we hear those sort of clear, profound responses to Christ as high priest and our lives remain unaltered, we're just as much a laugh. Man. You think it's not possible? Just because we've thought about it doesn't mean we've lived it. Just because I've talked about it doesn't mean I've lived it. Hear that, people of God. Just because we moved through that section of Hebrews doesn't mean that it's altered our lives yet. I cannot tell you how often in counseling or in meeting or talking with somebody about something, they're sharing some sort of problem they're working through and feeling like they're just out of, they they have no equipment, no goods to work through. And I'm like, Did you listen, Sunday? Hold on. I got my notes still in my Bible. Let me open them up. Did you listen? Now, I'm not that rude. I'm going to be a lot more gentle. Right here, you know, i not aimed at anybody, so nobody's going to feel the weight of that. I'm going to be a lot more gentle with that, but it happens often where I'm like, did that impact you at all? Was your life altered at all through what God communicated, what, through that exposure of His Word. Man, faith is going to act, and faith is going to be altered if it's faith. I think about James 2.17. You can turn there. I'd like for you to see this. It's just a, such a simple passage, but it's one that's so profound when we're thinking about it in light of Noah. As you're turning there, I'm thinking about how easy it is for our lives to be spent on things that are temporal. Uh, Scott's recent messages from Ecclesiastes are wonderful reminders of that. How we can be spent on things that are under the sun and how meaningless all that under the sun stuff. And then contrast that with what your lives can be like if you're spent on eternal matters. I was thinking about this passage In chapter 2, verse 17, so also also faith by itself, if it does not have works, drowns. That doesn't say that, but it could. Connected to Noah's story, faith by itself, if it does not have works, drowns. If Noah got the warning from God and said, okay, I believe you, God, but then... Grabbed his ho-hos and twinkies and bonbons and kicked his feet up for the next 100 years or however long it was, 120 years, and the rain comes and Noah and his family and all those he's responsible for drown. If the sum total of his life had been been given over to things under the sun, to temporary things and not responding to what God has said to him, man, Faith without works drowns. But James says that faith, real faith, works. Hebrews shows us that real faith builds. I'm going to encourage you this morning to realize that real faith hears things that God says and your lives are altered and influenced in some way. If you go week after week without God's word ever altering you or affecting you and no movement in response to that, man, you should wonder, are you really hearing it? Have you equated listening with doing? Have you equated like Noah, I believe you, God, with actually picking up a hammer and nails and going to work? John Calvin said this. He said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. The faith that saves builds, measures, saws, cuts, responds, is altered in some way in response to what God has said. The fourth thing, and this is a lob for Father's Day, right from our passage. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. I read that and I'm like, almost like I had kind of conspired, like we had planned our preaching schedule for this Father's Day because it's just so beautifully laid up there on Father's Day as we see Noah constructing out of reverent fear for the saving of his household. We're seeing here a guy that had more He had a view of more than just himself. He had a view of his family. I'm thinking about what he could have done. Matthew 24, 38. While the world was going about their business, eating and drinking. Sounds a lot like the nation of Israel. Eating and drinking and rising up to play. Giving in marriage. Doing life. While all that's going on, God's man, though, is believing and building with his family in view. Fathers, those grandfathers in here, those fathers to be, and those functional shepherds. Some of you are not a father, your mom's standing in the gap because dad's got his hand in his pockets. Would you think about something for a minute? Years ago, when this church started, that's mostly who, who it was. Well, I got my hand in my pocket right now. I shouldn't because I'm making this illustration. <laughs> years ago, that's mostly who came in our front door. Those of you that have been here for 10 years, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Women would come in with Bibles that had all kinds of stuff sticking out of them. Like, doilies and bookmarks and pens and studies they had had you know they came in like the book was, the Bible was heavy it had like a handle on it you know and you could tell that thing was deer they'd been eating that thing up and dudes would walk in behind them like this hey where, where are we gonna sit where are we gonna eat lunch babe by the way is this long does this guy talk long That's what it was 10 years ago. That's not what it is now because God's done something with this church and he's called to attention the importance of the role of the father in preparing the family for deliverance. There was a series of sermons back in 2009, I think. The Dib series is something that we're going to revisit as a church in 2014. And I want to ask you this question, fathers, grandfathers, and functional shepherds. What are you doing for the salvation of your household? How are you spent? Are you spent bringing home a paycheck? Is the sum of your life eating and drinking and giving in marriage? Is that all you got to show for yourself? Or you have have a view of anything that's going to be not under the sun but eternal? Any sort of eternal matters, souls, things like that. How are you spent? Are you moving in a way that will involve the salvation of your household? Some of you might be hearing this thinking, man, you know, I appreciate you, your words there, but it wasn't modeled for me, so I'm sort of out of luck. You should know that there's a lot of folks in this body that are moving in a way with their view and family, or their, excuse their family in view, and it wasn't modeled for them either. But they heard and heeded. Their faith was acting. Their lives were altered through our movement as a church, the Dib Series, in 2009. I want to encourage you, though, if you're thinking, man, it wasn't modeled for me, I'm excited about 2014, maybe I'll get some goods there. You don't have to wait till 2014. You can start right now with what we've talked about this morning. Start with your lives being altered by let us. Hold fast, let us draw near, and let us consider how to stir one another up to loving good deeds. I was just using that as an example, but it's a something that we've considered as a church recently. Has your life been altered by that in any way? Start right there. That's a great place for you to begin to be altered with your family and household in view. You can be about the work of ark building where your family is in view because faith, is responsible for those under your care and your hands aren't in your pockets. Fifth thing, Noah's actions condemn the world. This is a tricky one. By this, by the building of the ark, by the reverent fear for the saving, constructing it for the saving of his household, he condemned the world. Something I want you to hear in these next few minutes I want you to understand that the life of a faithful, faith-filled person stands in sharp contrast in a godless world. Sharp contrast. And like it or not, that life, that faithful, bright, shiny, aromatic, salty life is a silent rebuke to a lost world. It's a silent rebuke. Josephus said of Noah, he said, Noah shamed his contemporaries by the quality of his faith, which threw their skepticism in high relief. I want you to think about something for a minute. I want you to realize that your faith and your faithfulness is something that brings unrighteousness to the surface in others. It's a great example in 1 Corinthians 11. Turn there with me. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians 11, we read so often for the Lord's Supper, and I don't know if this has ever occurred to you before, but I want you to hear this and consider this through this familiar passage. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Now, I'm going to finish the, the passage there in a second, but divisions among you, likely from those who are stirring up division, maybe a rooter bitterness, maybe something's going on there, these factions, with there are people that are moving in there that are causing division, I just this week, just on my weekly reading, daily reading, was reading in Proverbs 6, 19 about some things that God hates. God hates one who sows discord among brothers. Maybe that's what's going on there. Somebody's stirring up division and discord. He said, I hear that there are divisions among you, Corinthian church, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you May be recognized. I want you to realize that faithfulness, righteousness brings faithlessness into view. You can't even see it without faithfulness. You don't even know what it is until you see faithfulness in the foreground. And it stands as a silent rebuke. Now, let me encourage you in something. Don't be too encouraged. I want to encourage you not to be too encouraged to be a horse's butt. Some folks can hear what I, this point I just made about this, you know, Noah's actions condemn the world and go, yes, yeah, see, man, I knew I had a calling there. Because some folks, their, their ministry, and I'm putting air quotes around that, their ministry is to condemn the world and the worldly by pointing out how rotten it or they are. Man, you've heard it. You may have done it. I'm not speaking to anybody in particular here, so anybody's thinking, is he uh, singling me out? I don't have anybody in mind right here. But you know how it goes. You see a parent that's not moving in a way that you would move as a, a Christ-influenced parent, and you're like, pfft, look at that old sorry parent. Man, if they don't know the Lord, are you surprised? Duh. They're moving in a way that's not godly. Talking about kids with or bad parents. In the news a lot lately has been the knockout game. You look at something like that, you say, man, how violent is our world? How violent are those kids, the knockout game, where somebody's just walking down the street and somebody just hauls off and knocks them out? Man, that is pretty crazy. But are you surprised in a godless world? It shouldn't surprise you things like that happen. School shootings, does it surprise you when a school shooting happens in a godless world? corruption and murder, we shouldn't look at those things and be surprised. If we live in a world that is fallen, that is faithless, that has rejected their creator, it shouldn't surprise us when those, things, when, the, when those things happen. And we should know that our call then is not to point out all those ugly, violent, terrible, dark, wicked, bad people. Noah's ministry was not like that. His ministry was more about being a herald of salvation 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says that he was a herald of righteousness in his time. He was not a herald of wrongedness. You understand what I'm That's a made up word on purpose. He wasn't a herald of wrongedness. Look at how vile and wicked all you guys are. Y'all are gonna drown. It seems like the influence or the, the, the focus of his message is come get on the boat. I'm a herald of some good news. Come follow our creator and come get on the boat. There's room for you. It's a message of salvation, not a message of condemnation. Condemnation was the byproduct of them rejecting a message of salvation. The focus of his preaching, the focus of our preaching, should be good news of salvation to all men. Condemnation is a byproduct. Ask yourself the question. In your view of being salty, bright, and aromatic in the world, do you see your job as this, quote, air quote, ministry, a point how rotten, rotten and wicked everybody is? Or is it as a herald of righteousness, a herald of salvation? Hey, crummy parent, let me tell you about my Noah. Hey, violent dude, let me tell you about my ark. Hey, wicked people, Let me tell you about how you can find salvation. That should be the focus of our message. I enjoyed this passage in 2 Corinthians. Listen to this. Jot this down. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, and 20. Listen to what's being communicated here. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us a message of reconciliation, not a message of condemnation. He entrusted to us a message of reconciliation. Not a message of condemnation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our message to a lost world. We implore you, lost world, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you, lost world, come get on the ark. Faith heralds salvation. And the sad byproduct is many will reject that and go for a long swim. The sixth thing, Noah inherited righteousness. Habakkuk 2.4 is an important passage we considered a few weeks ago because it's referenced in chapter 10 of Hebrews. It says, My righteous one shall live by faith. Paul quoted that passage twice in his letters. It's a very important passage for us as Protestants. If you're not Catholic, you're a Protestant. And Protestants, our whole, the whole Reformation was born from the study of this passage. The righteous, because you get these things out of order and you can end up anywhere. Righteousness, life and salvation, and faith. If you get those things out of order, you could, might start to believe like the Catholic Church believed, that I'm going to be righteous so I'll be saved. Martin Luther found otherwise he studied that passage. And the Hebrew's preacher brings into focus how Noah was righteous and what influence his faith had on that righteousness. Why he was saved. Do you think for a moment that he was saved because he was a good guy? Do you think for a moment that your salvation works that way? God's going to save me because I'm a whole lot better than the rest of those guys. ha <laughs> right i mean look a little twinkle on my tooth there ding like a glean commercial my hair is nicely parted nose is clean man we can do that but let me let me tell you that's not our good news that's not our message if you're believing that you're not believing our gospel was noah perfect some early commentators thought he was listen to this guy I don't know who it was, this person. It was a Hellenistic Jewish writer. So this would have been ancient a couple thousand years ago. A Jewish writer writing on Noah said, Noah was found perfect and righteous. (laughs) Really? You keep reading the story of Noah after the flood and you find out otherwise. Noah was found perfect and righteous. Really? I'm not reading from the scriptures here. I'm reading like a Jewish commentator. This is not biblical reference. This is extra-biblical commentary. And this Hellenistic Jewish writer said, Noah was found perfect and righteous in the time of wrath. He was taken in exchange. Therefore, a remnant was left to the earth when the flood came. I've got news for this Hellenistic Jewish writer. News that's true in Romans chapter 3. It's It's true in Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, you remember after the flood? We would like to think that the flood purified humanity. You think it did? You think that humanity is different now than it was before the flood? It's interesting that at the end of this account, when this offering is made by Noah, God says, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Man, do you think for a moment... That God is saving the good guys? Man is evil. Evil intention from his youth. Listen to Romans 3. This is way this side of Christ. Paul is writing to the Roman church about the Jews and Greeks both being in the same boat. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. I shouldn't have used that same boat word because that's messing up imagery, given our. Our focus this morning. He says of humanity, here's the human problem. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Put in there, neither can, neither is Noah. Now we read the passage over there, it said Noah was a righteous man. We're going to figure out, these don't conflict. These fit together this morning, but we need to understand this passage. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you think he's emphasizing none? No one? No one? You think he's thinking, except Noah? I'm going to tell you how this works. The Hebrews preacher helps us figure out how these things work together here in chapter 11, verse 7. And it's, man, he serves it up well. By this, by obeying God, by believing God, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He was granted... Righteousness. He was reckoned righteous because he readily accepted what God said as truth. That's why. He believed God and his inheritance as a result of believing God and acting on that belief was righteousness. God, I'm going to reckon you righteous. I'm going to grant you righteousness. I'm going to impute righteousness righteousness in you, the righteousness that belongs to my son because of what he did, not because of what you can do. Man, that's our good news. He doesn't save the good guys and leave the others to swim. Understand that. Man, if that's your understanding of the gospel, that's not in our Bible. That's every other man-made religion, really, if you want to look at it. Our faith is altogether different. It says there was only one righteous. There was only one good, and that was Christ. And we were saved by faith. Faith, believing God. Noah was not a sinless dude. He was blameless. That doesn't mean sinless. Blamelessness means all in. He was all in, wholeheartedly believing God and taking him at his word, and he acted. I love the word inherited because it, transfers, it connects to where we are. It means that if we believe God, i.e. have faith, if we believe God, we share in his inheritance, righteousness. We share in Noah's inheritance. The same righteousness that's granted to Noah is granted to you as you believe. Man, faith inherits righteousness. Now, I think it would be wrong of us to consider this this morning without just considering a few things that are true about God. These are brief but important. God warns those He loves. He warns those He loves. I realize warnings are not real fashionable. You know, a warning preacher. It's not something we would, like, if we're going to send out a mail out to Greenville, you've probably gotten mail outs from different churches in Greenville. Come see us. Come check us out. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not, you know, somehow pouring cold water on that. But if we were to send one out, we probably wouldn't put on there, come show up, and we're going to give you a really good warning. But people don't like warnings. It's not real fashionable. I mean, fashionable, that may not be the word, it's not real appealing not a real good selling point but we need to know that our god warns those he loves and that heeding his warning means salvation and god warned jesus warned consider the passage we started the morning with from chapter 24 of matthew here's the next page in matthew from jesus when the son of man comes in glory and all his angels with him he will sit on his glorious throne Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But to those on his left, he will say, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. I was naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these... You did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. If you're troubled with a God who warns, you need to find a new God. Our God gives good warnings. Good warnings that are worth heeding. Good warnings that are worth altering our lives. In some way, man, I'm thankful for his many warnings. As Noah, likely, as he's right on that boat, was thankful for God's warning. Secondly, about God, he expects you to believe him and act on what he's told you. That's not just my idea. It's not just something I'm trying to kind of emphasize this morning and encouraging you for just the example of our most recent exor, most recent three triplets, you know, our three not three tri- triplets but our single triplets we had a couple months or month ago. Let us hold fast. Let us draw near. Let us consider how to stir one another up to loving good works. That's not my idea. That's his idea that he expects us to respond to what we've heard. And we're as ridiculous as a Noah who's sitting around on flowery beds of ease if we think we've heard it and think we've lived it because we've heard it. God expects our lives to be changed as a result of what he's communicated to us. Third, God delivers his people through the watery ordeal. I don't want us to hear Noah's story this morning without enjoying that Most people in this room have been baptized. When we are baptized through the watery ordeal. You may not think of it like that. That's what's taking place there. It is an opportunity for you as a believer and for us as a church to enjoy the ordinance of baptism and to enjoy that God has a pattern of delivering his people through watery ordeals. Think about childbirth. What happens when a woman's child or, uh, uh, water breaks? That baby's coming. And that child is delivered through a watery ordeal right there in front of us, a lob. There's another one. Is the flood right here. Moses is another one in a little bitty, tiny little ark, also lined with pitch in the Nile where he survived the watery ordeal. Another one is the nation of Israel with, the, with Pharaoh and his army bearing down behind them. They are delivered across the Red Sea through the watery ordeal on dry ground. Forty years later, they cross the Jordan the same way through the watery ordeal It's a pattern for God to deliver his people through the watery ordeal. Think about Jesus doing it with the disciples in the Sea of Galilee with a storm-tossed boat. And Jesus says, peace be still. Or in another account, he takes them across the sea. Immediately they find themselves on the other shore. He delivers his people through the watery ordeal. He did it with Jonah, albeit bumpy. He did it with Paul in a shipwreck. God delivers his people through the watery ordeal. As we consider Noah, consider that we have a great God that wants to be known as a big D deliverer. Let's enjoy that you too have been delivered through the watery ordeal. Lastly, God will judge the earth. God will judge the earth. It's the last passage I want you to turn to this morning. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3. We can't consider this story this morning without considering the relevance to our time. I started the morning with Matthew chapter 24 warning. And we're ending the morning with this reality in 2 Peter chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, Beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder. What's cool about considering what happened to Noah and his family and the rest of the earth is it's going to stir something up in us. And that's what Peter is hoping for here as his readers hear these words. I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. They did it in Noah's time. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. We're just eating and drinking and giving in marriage. And you're preaching all that heavy stuff? (laughs) Boats and floods and stuff like that. That's so ridiculous. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word that's just as sure. How did we start out this morning? How sure is his word? By the same word that's just as sure. The heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction. Of the ungodly. Man, that's just as sure as that flood was. There's a deluge, not this time by water, but by fire. The bow in the sky is a reminder of his promise never to deluge the earth again with water. But it doesn't mean that he's never going to deluge the earth again, it doesn't mean that he's not going to judge the earth. What I want you to understand, what you want you to see that's unfolding right now in 2014 as we are eating and drinking and giving in marriage potentially. What's unfolding right now are the same things that were unfolding while the ark was being built. Somebody's preaching and heralding righteousness. And most are going, take it easy, dude. Enough already. That's so overbaked. It's so over the top. Floods and stuff. Deluge with fire. (laughs) Sounds so scary. You're such a ridiculous dude. People. (laughs) But the days are the same. Somebody's preaching and heralding righteousness and salvation. Somebody's doing that, and most are saying, man, take it easy. Somebody's working on stuff that's going to outlive judgment. Somebody is. Somebody's working on stuff that's not just under the sun, but that's eternal, that's going to matter after this whole thing is burned up by fire. And everybody else is seeing that. It can very easily throw rocks at it and say, Man, that's stupid. It's a waste of time. We're going to go about eating and drinking and giving in marriage because that's really what's important. What I want you to see is that God unfolds judgment and salvation simultaneously. He did it at the Passover in the Exodus. You remember what led up to the Passover, the last plague? The plague's in front of it, this unfolding judgment while salvation is unfolding for Israel God is about that work of unfolding salvation and judgment simultaneously. Deliverance and judgment unfolding, taking place at the same time. While God's people survived behind blood-slathered doorposts, judgment came to Egypt and the firstborn in every household. Deliverance to one home shrieks in another. so will be the coming of the son of man god will judge this earth it is a surety it's no light matter and it would call for reverent fear let me pray god i'm so thankful for this account I hope at points in these last few minutes that we've been um, convicted, encouraged, sharpened, galvanized, maybe even frightened. Lord, I pray that this sermon will not go without affecting your people. I pray that as we consider this ancient story, 7,000, 9,000 years ago, God, that we'll be altered as we see what faithfulness looks like. As, you, as we understand your character more and what you are doing, what's unfolding in our present times, things that are unseen but sure that they'll bring conviction to a people conviction about things unseen. God, we can't muster faith, but we can sure beg for it, and I beg for it. God, I pray, too, that you would guard us from thinking that because we've thought about it, we've lived it. Guard us from thinking that because I've preached it, I've been altered by it. God, I pray that we will act, that we will respond to this message as faith responds. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to share a passage with you and then we're going to distribute the elements and I'm going to explain why I'm sharing this passage after we distribute the elements. Let me encourage you as we distribute the elements, if you are not a believer, don't take these elements. It's not a snack. You can hang out for after we dismiss and go get you something at Taco Bell. We'll get something for you, but don't take this. This is for those that are trusting Christ as their Savior and Lord. If you are believing and trusting Christ as Savior and Lord, then man, eat up. Eat up. Now, if you have some sort of unconfessed sin in your life that you're holding on to and you're enjoying, I wouldn't recommend taking the meal either. You need to deal with God over that. What you could do is deal with God over that right now and then take that meal because you've got a couple minutes while it's being distributed. Know that there's forgiveness, but man, it's got to mean bringing it before him and confessing it. Two, if you're crossways with a brother or a wife or a husband or a family member, Don't take that into the supper either. Deal with that before you take the supper. It might be something you can do right now with your wife. I don't know why. Before we were in full-time ministry and I was home with Christy on Sunday mornings helping get kids ready, we found that the devil was most busy on Sunday morning. He loves to mess up folks on Sunday morning before they go gather corporately. (laughs) I don't know how he does it. But it might be time for you to lean over to your wife and say, Hey, honey, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Let's take and eat together here in a moment. Or for the wife to lean over and say the same. Or it might be leaning over to your kids and saying, I'm sorry that I screamed at you like John Wayne parent this morning. Please forgive me. Let's take and eat together. I encourage you in those things before we distribute the elements. I'm going to share this passage and explain it after we distribute the elements. This is from our account this morning, Genesis chapter 6. Also take with you every sort of food that's eaten. And store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Let's distribute the almonds. I think that's the most upbeat Lord's Supper we've ever had, which is cool. And it's fitting, too. The reason I shared that passage in Genesis chapter 6 is I'm imagining how sober it must have been on that ark. Thinking about, you know, all, everybody you ever knew drowned, I mean, in wake behind you. Um, I'm sure they probably all together maybe recalled the screams of folks trying to get in. You know, they were thinking, you were right, <laughs> let me in there. You know, hearing that, hearing people drown, probably pretty sobering. But imagine the joy they felt, though, in being delivered. It's probably mixed emotions, but I bet there were times where they're like, man, can you believe he warned us about this? Can you believe he gave us such good, detailed instructions of how to survive this judgment? What a great God. I wonder if they sang together, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, singing their parts. There are four of them, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, so they could have each sung their parts, you know. See, I don't know enough about music to know there are four parts, you know. Right? It's pretty cool. Shem's singing bass, you know, singing around, eating. And they're eating food that God provided for them. I want you to think about this Lord's Supper this morning as ark food. Ark food. Food and nourishment that He's provided for you while we're in the ark. Not made with wood and gopher wood and nails, but made up of people. The ark of the church. And we have a new and better Noah. One who was perfect and is perfect and who reigns and rules and is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Man, this is ark food and it's good nourishment. Let's take and eat and let's enjoy him together. Let's take and drink and enjoy his provision. Let's continue in song. That was sweet. I love the we have different combinations of folks that lead our worship, and this was a, a newer combination, one that I don't think we've tried before, but it was sweet. It seemed like we had. Y'all were well-seasoned. It's cool. Thankful for our preparation. These guys, these different worship leaders on Sunday mornings, they put in a lot of time preparing to lead y'all well and to be out of the way, not to be in a distraction. And, man, y'all, I'm thankful for your ministry. Uh, I want to encourage you in something this morning. If you heard some things, some specifics that I was pointing back to recently, I'm remembering now when those sermons were. Easter morning and the Sunday after. No? Easter morning? Yeah. The Sunday after Easter um, were the two Sundays where let us uh, hold fast, draw near, and consider were preached. And if you're like, okay, great place to start is heeding what we've heard today. And you don't for a moment think that let us hold fast, draw near, and consider how to stir, has hit you, then you have work to do. And it's like building an ark. It's good work, though. It's good work. Go back and do it. I encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons online. Uh, Some small groups didn't meet during that period, you know, for one reason or another, or you may may have had an occasion where you didn't have a chance to talk through it with a small group. It's still there, and small groups are still meeting over the summer. So I encourage small groups, don't let those things come and go without talking through together, how should these things intersect our lives? If our lives are unaltered by the truth, then what in the world are we doing? (laughs) I mean, really, we're a farce if our lives are unaltered by the truth. Faith builds, and faith moves and responds As a result of God exposing what's true. I encourage y'all in that. That's a challenge. A strong encouragement. Um, I want to introduce a couple too. Travis and Gabrielle. Y'all come on up. Travis and Gabrielle are coming this morning for membership. Varnell is their last name. Newly married as of a couple months? How many months? Almost a year. Yes. Okay. They had a ceremony recently where... Everybody had a chance to participate. Correct. Yes, and that was when was the ceremony? Uh, March. Okay. Late March. Travis works with Jeff Ott. It's a great, a great opportunity to just show that con- the connections that you have in your workplace or in your neighborhood, God can use those. Travis works with Jeff Ott, and Gabrielle got to know Casey, and these different directions, different friendships are forming, and Travis is hearing. You know, he's hearing from Jeff Ott, hey, you need to come gather with us. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. He probably didn't say it that way because Travis would have looked at him funny, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but y'all know that's our ling- our language, you know, lingo. So um, biblical lingo, no less. But uh, he's hearing that from Jeff, and Casey's inviting Gabrielle, and Gabrielle's coming and saying, man, oh, this is awesome. And Gabrielle's saying, Travis, you need to come to, my, the, to this church I'm going to. And then they figure out we're talking about the same church. <laughs> It's pretty cool to think about that's how God can work and orchestrate things. So I encourage you be salty, bright, and aromatic, and encourage others who are not drawing near, holding fast, and considering how to stir one another up to loving good deeds as part of a church body to come gather, taste, and see what it's like. It's good. And man, I, I want you to get to meet this couple, get to meet them, and get to know them, and invite them over for fellowship or a meal or whatever. But take the time to get to know them because they're let us sing with us. Okay, that's why it's important that you get to know them. All right, y'all stand and I'll dismiss us in prayer. God, I want to pray for this couple this morning. I'm just so thankful for the folks that you are bringing to be part of our lives. The other um, opportunities um, that you've given us to be ministered to through folks that you're bringing and to minister to folks that you're bringing. Folks that come with gifts, folks that come with story, folks that come with, vibrant worship enjoyment of you lord we are just grateful so thankful for travis and gabrielle and so thankful for how you connect the dots and conversations and relationships from friendships to work environment and how you used god's people to draw them into fellowship with his people god we look forward to a journey together we pray that it'll be an equipping journey i pray for travis right now as a man in this body that he'll keep his hands out of his pockets that he will lead and love well, that he'll be equipped, that he'll have models around him, and that he'll walk in obedience alongside other men that are building arcs for our families. God, we are thankful that ultimately the ultimate arc has already been finished through the work of the cross. We count that work absolutely finished and completed, and we respond in response to that work. We love you, Lord. in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all stay up here just for a minute. Y'all come meet this couple.